See that noise is the um, Sue opening the oysters. Like, there's a, you can go in there and have a look. What does it do? It's like a little jackhammer. Um, so it just sort of vibrates up and back. And so you can just sort of put it at the hinge and press the button in and it takes a lot of the hard work out of opening an oyster. So this is who I worked for. Before you um, got your for, own. Yeah, I worked for Sue and Greg that own Broadwater Oysters. Oh. Yeah, cool. So that sound is like shucking an that's, oyster. That's shucking oysters, oh yeah. You'll have to go in after this yeah. and have a look. <laughs> See. Yeah, that's spent... I spent a lot of time standing in front of that bench when I was younger. I'm Jess O'Cullaghan. This is The Business of Fishing, a podcast from the Young Farmer Business Program, an initiative of the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries to help you get the skills you need for the office, not the boat. This season, you'll hear from some of New South Wales' most inspiring young commercial fishers, aquaculturists and oyster farmers like Jack. G'day, I'm Jack Salt from uh, Salty's Oysters. We're down at Broadwater Lake, also Pambula Lake, which is a prime location. And um, yeah, there's probably 20 farmers in the lake um, and eight of us are lucky enough to have a shed down here. And uh, this is young Rupert and he's currently 13 years of age. Is he 13? Yeah, he's looking good for his age. He's looking really good for his age. Yeah, no, he's he's in good form. (laughs) Up, Rupert. Well trained, yeah. knows what's up. Go ahead, just jump in. All aboard. I'm heading out on the lake with Jack and Rupert, and I'm going to learn a lot about getting into the oyster game, the impact of salinity on the business, and developments in oyster farming systems. But I'm also going to learn about crafting your business around the life you want to lead. For Jack, running his oyster business is the key to living a life outdoors, where he controls his work hours and sets the rules. What's the area? That, like, what size? Oh, I've got about four, four and a half hectare. Um, so I grow all wild caught and I, um, yeah, sort of put my 8,000 slats in and then out of that I can grow about 20,000 dozen a year. You can definitely, um, you know run a small business um, with four, four hectare. I was never any good at school. I mean, I remember th- being in school just thinking, all right, I'm getting out of here. I left school when I was um, 15 and started working down here. And so I, I was thinking, all right, I need a job that's not, um, you know, that is just working with my hands. And, um, yeah, this sort of ticked all the boxes. I I wanted to be out on the lake or in the ocean. So the lake is just as good. Jack started working for Sue McIntyre and Greg Carton at Broadwater Oysters, another business in the sheds at Pampula Lake. Yeah, I think growing up in this area, is there's lots of farms around here. It's one of the bigger industries for young people to sort of get into. And, yeah, I think that was what got me hooked. Part lifestyle... Pretty flexible hours, you know. You have to you have to put work in, but you can probably fit a surf around it, and so yeah, go fishing, and yeah, it's it's prime. At Broadwater Oysters, he learned the tricks of the trade and how the lake works. Then Jack made the leap to start his own business in 2017. Yeah, sort of on and off, but yeah, pretty much seven years, and I sort of decided either I'm going to get out of the industry completely or get 100% in. Yeah, the, the gentleman that was working beside Broadwater Oysters was selling up and that was my foot in the door. 
when you're working for yourself, the passion's completely there. You're not really making as much money at the start, that's for sure, but it's paying off now. To cover the initial cost, Jack got a loan from his dad. We're a good team because I'm hopeless at books and all that sort of stuff, but I know how to grow an oyster. So obviously being so young, you know, a bank wouldn't look at me. Um, So he was very supportive financially at the start. And then, um, yeah, I mean, forever in debt. (laughs) But I'll, um, yeah, keep paying him off. And what does your dad do, like, if he's not an oyster farmer? No, no, he's an accountant. Yeah, he's an accountant. (laughs) So he's the perfect silent partner that's not real silent. (laughs) Is he your accountant? Yeah, of course. (laughs) You don't say. (laughs) So um, he pretty much keeps out of the farming side of things. He's not a very practical man. Yeah, he's very academic, so he he looks after the financial, like all the books and sort of guides me in that direction and then I look after the farming side. Yeah, no. Yeah, so That's a good deal. It's a very, very good deal. <laughs> yeah, no, it's and I and I've I try to a little bit of I have a little bit of a look in the book department and then I realise I go, nah, you have that. Please don't die, Dad. <laughs> I'm gonna have to marry well, I think. <laughs> You're going to have to find an account. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Even with the help from his dad, those first three years were a hard slog. Jack worked for Sue and Greg in the mornings and would tend to his own farm in the afternoon. In the first sort of three years, I was, I sort of was still working for another oyster farmer. So I was doing my stuff on the side. So I'd work, you know, eight hour day with Greg and Sue and then do my oysters in the afternoon or in the mornings. So that was really tough. And then... Um, and that's just financial to get set up? Yeah, just, you know, like I, I sort of had a few years of not making any money and every cent I did make went straight back into the business. It takes three years to catch and grow an oyster. There's no real way to speed that process up. So um, it takes a long time before you start making money. But, yeah, it's... Uh, you either have a lot of initial costs up front... Or you're looking at three years before you see a cent. As Jack mentioned, he bought an existing business. This is the simplest way to start out. The business came with current oyster leases, a spot in the sheds, grading gear and a boat. Oh, they're all over the mangroves in here too. Yeah. Yeah, they cover, they pretty well cover everywhere at that height. But the most significant change Jack has made in the business is shifting gradually from oyster trays to floating bags. Well, a lot of the business when I bought, it was already a running business. Um, so I've just invested a lot in um, floating bags and um, sort of tried to move away from trays, which the um, Pat, the gentleman that I bought the business off, had a lot of uh, infrastructure like that. So I've sort of pushed towards more bags and then invested a lot in slats and, yeah, a new boat and bits and pieces. The bags look like small mesh sacks or cages that float on top of the water, tied to a pole at either end of the row. So, yeah, these are last... This is a bit more of last year's catch. They're paired together so that one bag can be easily flipped up on top of the other, sitting up above the waterline. And so what we do once a month... We'll come along and we'll flip the, I'll flip the whole lease and put them on top of each other like that. And, we, and I'll leave them for about a week like this. Flip it over and flip the other side. I try to do that once a month. 
especially when there's a lot of catch in the lake. By doing that, you kill a lot of the barnacles and kanji and mussels that want to grow on the oysters and on the bags. And, um, and then you can also kill the little oysters that try to grow on everything. So it's kind of similar to a tray except using the bags that way. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, cool. And with the trays, you know, we we do bring them in and put them on drying rafts and we'll leave them on there for about a week or even even longer, 10 days, and simulate the same thing because if you do just leave them in the water like that, they, they just become an absolute mess. This process kills off any unwanted bugs or parasites that might have gotten into the bags, but it also helps to lower labour costs in the long run. Jack says the biggest threat to his oyster catch is baby oysters attaching themselves to established oysters, essentially growing on the outside of a larger oyster and spoiling it. When we put them on top of each other, they'll be old enough to stay out of the water for 10 days, but the baby ones won't. So it'll kill all the... Yeah, the, right. Like, and they'll be the size of like a little pepper or really small, you know, little needle, needle head. So you'll kill them, but you won't kill the, the oysters that you want to keep. But you have to keep on top of that because if it grows, if it grows a little bit too big, then you can't kill it. Which you know I've done a fair bit of that. I've, I've done ever since I've started. I've done a bit of everything. I've, mm. I've got trays, bags, and tumblers. And um, but I'm probably leaning towards the bags a lot more just through convenience and a lot less infrastructure to set up. Yeah, right. And handling them, I guess, yeah, is maybe a bit like, easier. There's a lot of there's a pole nearly every single tumbler there. So with a bag run, you just put two poles in a line and you can clip them on and you're, you're ready to go. So yeah, right. you can probably fit a little bit more in, in a lease with bags. Trays, trays are probably, like, a lot of the farmers, the bags weren't even a thing. It was just trays. Yeah. It, used, it started with sticks, catch them on the sticks and then just grow them out on sticks and bring them in and then... There'd be a pe- person there just chipping away at them all day. Yeah. Like a bad, pretty rough job. Yeah. Glad I missed out on that era. <laughs> the other benefit Jack sees in moving to oyster bags is the control it gives him over the time he spends at work. If I want the low tide, that's, you know, it's always changing every day, so I'll go time that. And then I just try to put my eight hours in most days, get down here and, and then... I, I either, if it's high tide in the morning, I'll go out and get some bags. If it's low tide, I'll do some tray work. Just work like that. Yeah. That's a nice life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> life. Yeah. <laughs> like the older oyster farmers, you, when they were doing just trays, they'd have to work with the tides a lot more, you know. So they, at low tide, they'd come out an hour before and probably stay till their hour after. And, um, but now with bags, it's changed the game a little bit. We can work all, all day. And people are growing oysters in really deep water where, where it wasn't even possible to grow oysters. Yeah, right, because so, yeah. they can float. Yeah. With trays, there's some work that just has to be done at high or low tide. You're watching to see how much time your oysters are spending on the waterline. But with floating bags, the bags move with the waterline. This is important to Jack. It's his whole reason for owning an oyster farm in the first place. It lets him control when and how he works. Yeah, I try work as little as possible. <laughs> but um, no, nah, in reality, yeah, the more you put in, the more you get out. And um, so I, I, I've got a knuckle in and do a bit more work, that's for sure. But 
I do. I think whoever can work the least for the most amount of money wins. So <laughs> that is how it works. That, yeah. So that's my that's my plan. But um, no, nah, you do have to like with my farm. If once you get behind, um, it's very hard to get back. You know, we might spend a couple hours out on the lake a day, and we flip either flipping bags and then bringing stuff in to work on, and then. But majority of the day is spent in the shed, getting things sorted, putting back into trays or putting back into baskets, and then in the morning we'll take them out and grab other ones and just repeat, repeat, repeat. On my drive down to Pambula a few days ago, it had bucketed down rain. There was even some flooding in nearby towns. Rainfall like this can pollute estuaries with runoff, and because oysters are filter feeders, they can accumulate pollution. They need some time to get back to normal after a big rain. So the New South Wales Food Authority works with shellfish farmers to close the lake until the product is safe to harvest. They monitor the oysters and check they've had enough time to purge themselves of the contaminants in the estuary before they're pulled out of the water. This, um, this pole with the solar panel on it, that's a salinity monitor. So we've got, we've got an app that you can uh, gauge the salinity. Oh, that's awesome. And so that's what we're, that's what, um, at the moment we're on a bit of a trial thing, um, which is government funded, um, where we're, um, we're, are we opening and closing with our harvest off that and a bit of a, you know, working it out. And is that shared between all of you in the lake? Yeah, or? that's for everyone, yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so... I think we're just trying to work out whether we, at some point, it won't be government funded. We're working out whether we want to keep doing that or, you know, go back to our old ways. What was your old way? We had like it was a 30 mils in 24 hours, um, and then we were shut. Um, so we've worked out with this um, with the with the salinity monitor. We've been open a lot longer. Yeah, right. Um, because it takes a while. It can take a while for that water to come down. So, you know, you can have a have sort of an afternoon where you could be harvesting where in the old way you'd be shut and you you don't get that afternoon to harvest so yeah yeah that's been very handy yeah and just being able to you can watch like at the moment we can get on it and see where the salinity's at it gives you a better idea when you can when we should be testing to reopen so at the moment it's still very very fresh yeah A lot of these are through, all this stuff through years, three years old. Once we reopen, I'll be selling all this. Well, I think we'll reopen depending. I think we're due for a bit more rain this weekend. But um, I reckon we'll probably reopen. Look at that, that was just buddy <laughs> caught on that stick. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll reopen. I'm hoping in, a, in, you know, two weeks and we should be back in action. And then um, hopefully they're screaming for them up in Sydney. Increasingly, they are screaming for them up in Sydney. And there are wholesalers specialising in getting oysters from farms like Jack's direct to restaurants in the cities. Everyone's different, um, but I sell all my oysters to a wholesaler and then they open them up and then sell them all to restaurants. I don't really like dealing with the public. So it's nice just to um, be able to come down here, grow amazing oysters and then move them off to one guy that can um, distribute a lot of oysters. Yeah. 
Have you always done that since the start, salter or wholesaler? Yep, always. I sell a little bit um, like locally, but um, yeah, I prefer just to get them all ready and then just sell for six months of the year and pump it out and yeah, and then just look after your young ones, get them ready. More often, the wholesaler is selling direct to consumers as well as to restaurants. Wholesale company East 33 is selling sacks of unshucked oysters from farms up and down the New South Wales coast to customers in the city. Yeah, it's exciting. Like, I've never really thought it would happen. Like, you can... It's a good idea, I reckon. Like, for for us, we can harvest oysters and then it'd be amazing if they could be at your door in Sydney in a few days. Yeah, really Mm. cool. I wouldn't want to deal with the logistics of that, but... I'll grow them for them. Jack's not big on technology himself. I'm pretty primitive on the yeah. app frontier. I've <laughs> yeah. only just got the hang of an iPhone. <laughs> I should have been Was born. Was that because of the solidity? Yeah, yeah. I should have been born. I should have been born 40 years ago, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. But no, just a tide chart and keep it simple. It's, yeah. all, it's all pretty straightforward. While Jack, Rupert and I were out on the water, his off-sider tab was in the shed processing oysters. They're rolling down a long grading machine where different sized oysters are dropping into various buckets the further they move along the machine. Jack's always had a worker on staff since the start of the business. I think for me, having someone working for me is two birds with one stone because if they're working, you feel like you have to like lead by example, so it keeps me working. <laughs> Um, and it's hard to keep the motivation up when you're on your own. Like, a lot of the jobs are very monotonous. So, you know, if you've got someone else there, you can talk to them and keeps you going. Give someone for you to talk to who's not Rupert. Yeah, yeah, that's it. As <laughs> good, as, good as Rupert yeah. is, <laughs> he, can, he gets a little bit... Rupert's eating something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rupert's got like a I lobster think he's got or a, something. a fish or something. <laughs> he's a good fisherman, oh that God, dog. yeah. You don't have to be an oyster farmer to learn a lot from how Jack Salt runs his business. He's passionate about finding ways to make oyster farming easier. He keeps on top of the latest innovations that mean those jobs are less taxing physically. Looking at his setup, the benefits of buying an existing business are really clear. Jack might be slowly moving to oyster bags, but when he started, he had existing infrastructure there to get the business up and running immediately. It's a great way to get a start in the industry. And another lesson from Jack. If business is not your strong suit, get support from people who know what they're doing. People like Jack's dad. Jack might be young, but he sure has a solid plan for the future. If you take one thing away from his story, let it be to work smarter, not harder. I think I'll probably have to keep slaving away for another three more years and hopefully get the business established where I can have a manager running it and um, live in Bali. (laughs) I think I only need another person like me. Until I find that man, I've got to keep working for a little bit. (laughs) But I think it's pretty achievable. Yeah, what's your short-term plan? (laughs) Real short-term plan is, I think, yeah, I'm going to have to work for another four... I'm thinking four years. Four years, then get someone that can run the farm and then I'm out. Are you serious? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's amazing. Yeah, I reckon with the um, Tav, who I've got working for me at the moment, if he works for another four years, he'll get the hang of it. Then he can, we can get another Gromit running his job and we're on. Leave them to it. We'll leave them to it. Yeah, I that's planned. I can take off. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of Fishing, brought to you by the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries Young Farmer Business Program. Thanks to Jack and Rupert for showing me the lake. You can find more episodes full of business tips on your favourite podcast app. While you're there, let us know what you thought of this episode. Next time, we head inland. But if we can grow this to a stage where we've got the supply, we can then you know, look after those customers that want that product. That's where we're, we're targeting this product is you know, specifically into the high-end restaurant trade and also retail as well. We find it's had great traction there and we've got customers that, are, that have been with us for a long time and they know that they'll get the same product every week. That's Matt Ryan. He's farming Murray Cod in Bilbul in southwest New South Wales. You'll hear from him next episode. Catch you then.